Just want to put your mind at rest. Found your address book in the theater last week. It's in the mail. By the way, Carol's okay. But Linda... Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. And we are making a sustained adventure, intrusion, excursion? Excursion. excursion. We are making a sustained excursion into the William Wardiverse of The Rockford Mm -hmm. Files. Uh, Kicking off, well, I guess technically we kicked off with our last episode, but... We are doing it on purpose, intentionally. Yes. Now, with Season 3, Episode 1, The Fourth Man. Mm-hmm. Oh, this was Episode 1. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I have this memory of pulling out the disc and seeing The Fourth Man partway down the disc, but uh, huh. I've pulled out so many discs <laughs> and uh, had to search through them for the episode that we were doing that like, I could be pulling the memory from any time, honestly. So this was not a one and done. This was a, this was a searcher. This was a searcher, yeah. Well, it was a searcher specifically because I didn't look up which... I knew what season it was in. I didn't look up which episode it was. So mm-hmm. I, I grabbed the proper season correctly. Mm-hmm. But I actually, I think I started from the back of the seat. Okay, this is just not helpful for it. I'm going through the DVDs, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I'm looking. I, I like to play this little game with myself where I try to pull out the correct DVD on the first try. Because there are many, many DVDs. There's like four discs per season, I think. That sounds right. Something like 24 of them. So uh, I pulled out season three, but the last pair of discs from mm-hmm. season three and I just kind of read them through backwards, so who knows? Uh, so yeah, it wasn't a one and done, and I just assumed it was somewhere in the middle of there, but obviously it wasn't. It was at the very beginning. Is it mathematically? What I was going to say kind of off the cuff was, generally you just want to go for the middle because it's a, the greatest chance that something's going to be in the middle, but I don't think that's true because it's linear. There's only one of each individual yeah. thing, so there's an equal chance of any given episode being on any given dvd in a season Mm -hmm. it is a complete die roll if you have no other information to go on yeah yeah it's just a a completely flat die roll you would shoot for the middle because if you're shooting for a particular season if you know the season to shoot for Mm -hmm. because i'm not even counting out the sleeves or anything like that i'm just but you're like you know that the seasons go one to six so if you need season two you probably want to go towards the left i mean i gotta tell you this is so incredibly (laughs) random that i don't even know if which side of the box is season one which side is season (laughs) six because it gets flipped around oh sure Mm -hmm. uh i do know the outer edges Mm -hmm. are one and six yeah so seasons two and three are easier to hit or Mm -hmm. not two and three three and four yeah, three and four are easier to hit because you just go for the middle. Right. None of this is helpful. This is- <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry that you that that you had to search for this one, but it is yeah. in fact episode one, which I think is uh, a little interesting in terms of the finale, I guess, because this is the first episode of the new season, right? right? Yeah. You you haven't seen you know you haven't seen Jim on your screen for the entire summer. Yeah. And now it's finally the end of September. You've seen an extraordinary ad that is reprinted in Ed Robertson's book. Oh. <laughs> um, in the newspaper that says, NBC sends you all the best. Nine o'clock, The Rockford Files, with a great montage of Jim. Um, oh, yeah. Faces. 
but then the the subtitle or the the content of the ad underneath nine o'clock the rockford files is james garner as the wily private eye who dazzles his enemies with the sharpest moves this side of oj simpson Oof. <laughs> 1976 was a different time. And the caption here does in fact say the copywriters would have to rethink the last three lines if this ad were to run today. (laughs) Uh, Yes. So, you know, this one has has a bit of unexpected action, I guess, is what I'm saying that I think makes sense for a. uh, Yeah, this is a more action heavy episode than uh, what we're used to. A a show that revolves around uh, Firebird. (laughs) <laughs> and a private investigator. <laughs> this is all here, neither here nor there. We will get to it when we get to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yes, this is indeed uh, William Ward and written by Juanita Bartlett, mm-hmm. um, just as our last episode was. So as we've done the show, we mm-hmm. have run into uh, I'm, I'm committing to Ward as as the pronunciation on the name. Um, yeah. I've not run into any information to tell me to pronounce it differently. Um, we've, we've run into William Ward throughout as he is the most prolific director for the rockford files as of our last episode we did the math and there are six episodes that he directed remaining for us to consider so this is the first of those six of those six two of them were also written by juanita bartlett yes so if we do all those we have a nice little trinity of episodes uh before we venture off into the the wild waterverse <laughs> for for the last four, so you know we like to have our little a little bit of an organizing principle to what we're what we're watching next, and uh, I think we've committed to uh, a wardathon. Yeah, it's as good as any, but I think it's important that we finish off Ward uh, intentionally. Yeah, like you said, he's been with us almost the whole time, <laughs> and uh, uh, I think it's worth spending a little time just acknowledging that. And uh, yeah. It's a little frustrating just because there's so little information I've been able to find out about this man. So it's not like there's a fun backstory that we get to explore. Um, So I guess perhaps I'm putting this out as a call to people who might have more knowledge or information uh, just about him. Mm -hmm. You can kind of triangulate from his credits. He's a little older. Uh, He was directing um, through the... uh, 50s and 60s into the 70s uh he started off as a editor i think he started off basically you know like in the cutting room and kind of made his way into directing um from there like many of the directors for the rockford files and this for in the studio system i think you know at Mm -hmm. this time there was a couple anecdotes in that robertson book just talking about how like he's really efficient he knew what he wanted and he knew how to get it and he was easy to work with in that way but yeah, I uh, I really haven't haven't been able to to find a whole lot about his his life or career outside of credits. I'm just scrolling through the uh, his IMDb because, like you said, this, this is what we have. Um, he did die in the 80s. He died of I think of cancer. Yeah. yeah, so I think that might be part of it. Is that it's pre pre internet culture for sure, right? And probably pre. I feel like in the 90s there was a lot of like interviews of people and a lot of the a lot of the stuff that we talk about of like stories or like grounding some of the episodes with uh, anecdotes and stuff a lot of those come from interviews done in the 90s yeah of the people who are involved with this show in the 70s as they're getting to the end of their careers right yeah so maybe there's a bit of a unfortunate dip between 
when someone would be interested in recording right. the memories of this guy. It so happens that he just didn't make it <laughs> to to that time. There's a, a technology thing going on, too, because I think um, it, it's easier to record Peter, people later yeah. and later. It's cheaper to mm-hmm. record people later and later. So, um, yeah, I was just looking at his... The Rockford Files, he's done, of all the episodes of things that he's done, he's done Rockford Files, it appears, second most, Mm -hmm. with the first most being Daniel Boone, Mm -hmm. which I think I've watched a bunch of when I was a kid. This is (laughs) uh, from 66 to 70, and uh, the Doris Day show from 69 to 73. He did, what was it, 26 episodes of the Rockford Files? Mm -hmm. 36 of Daniel Boone, and... 22 of Doris Day. And then, like, a lot of these other ones, it's just three or four or five yeah. episodes each or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, like, we we enjoy his rock profiles contribution. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think one thing is that he's done so many that... How, how do I want to say this? He's done so many episodes that the chances of him doing some of our favorite episodes right. is higher than pretty much any other director. <laughs> right? <laughs> what, what's really funny, though... Is that uh, the number of episodes he's done right now, there is a slim chance there's some universe out there where Parallel, Nathan, and Eppies are doing their very first William Ward episode. (laughs) And then they're going to do all of them as the rest of the series. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's, that's about where we're at. Yeah. That's wild. Um, also, just as it happens, uh, again, I guess maybe it's just we could do some math about this, I guess. But just again, as it's fallen out, his remaining episodes are almost evenly distributed amongst the seasons. Yeah. So <laughs> we are actually going to be continuing to skip around fairly randomly. Yeah. And doing a couple more episodes from each season just to finish out the Wardathon. So that's nice. Yeah. So if uh, yeah, so if anyone has any thoughts or or discoveries to share about him going forward, we have time. We still have yeah, a bunch yeah. of episodes, <laughs> so uh, get in touch. I'm, we'll be happy to to throw them up as we go. And then uh, yeah, again, this is a one year Bartlett script this season. So this is the first episode of the third season. So this season mm-hmm. is where David Chase becomes a producer. Chaz Floyd Johnson becomes right. a producer. David Chase is writing, you know, is writing scripts. Um, this is the season where the audience leveled off. So it was super high in the first season, fell off in the second season, and then leveled off from third through the end of the show with basically the same core of viewers for the rest ah. of its run. This is a season where James Garner gets uh, a Best Dramatic Actor Emmy uh, for So Help Me God. Right. Um, Noah Barry gets a nomination for Best Supporting Actor in a Dramatic Series for this season. Um, I feel like it's a good blend. This season, I think, is is where we we get all of the threads of the things that that we feel make for full Rockfordishness. Yeah, that, like they they. Uh, I mean, we talked about this before, but the the they get comfortable with the mm-hmm. characters at this point, but not. Um, wacky i guess mm-hmm. is the you, you know i mean this happens with all television shows like you you when you first start off you got to get a feel out what the characters actually are and how they're going to to interact and then you get like a uh you know writers and actors and directors that are all like roughly on the same page about how all this works i mean i never having worked in the industry i uh-huh. might be completely making this up but this is how it feels right like you feel like it gels yeah 
And then after a while, you also feel like those same people who've done that are like, well, what do we do now? Mm-hmm. Like, and they start throwing uh, wilder stuff into it. And Rockford Files kind of follows that pattern. A little bit, yeah. The little stuff goes a little, I think, again, we talk about this all the time, but it goes outside the the formula as established yeah. in the first two, three seasons. There's a bit yeah. of a formula. And then starting in, really starting season four, and I think peaking in season five is when it's kind of like treating the characters as characters to play with as opposed to what's a detective story that right. we want to tell this week. Yeah. Um, I think that transition kind of starts to happen, you know, in this next couple of seasons. But that all said, uh, I think I guess this one would be remarkable to me just in the sense that most of the most of the Juanita Bartlett episodes, I go, okay, there is a there's something here that is usually a uh a consideration of a female character right. in particular and with or in juxtaposition to a social issue um, that Jim is going to bounce off of. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's more for comedy. Sometimes it's more serious. Like she has a great sensibility, of course. Uh, but I feel like this particular episode actually doesn't necessarily have that quality. And if I were to watch it without having seen the credits, I would have assumed this was uh, probably a um, canal yeah. episode. Well, it's about a hitman. It's it's about a hitman. It has like a weird kind of off the wall um, profession involved. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so like that kind of feels cannily to me. Yeah. Yeah. This is not a criticism. It's just more no. of a like I was I generally will say like, oh, this is a Bartlett script. And here is one of here are the ways in which it feels like that. And this, for whatever reason, actually doesn't feel like has her kind of like signature kind of bit to it. Yeah. Which is not to say it is bad by any means. But uh, I, I was surprised as I was saying the words that I did not have yeah, yeah. <laughs> anything in particular to add. Um, is One thing about this episode uh that i really enjoyed was that we get pretty much the whole crew like Mm -hmm. not throughout the whole thing but everyone has a good moment we get we get beth we get angel we get dennis we get rocky and each of them has a great moment uh and that's great like that's that's a lot of fun you know that's what you want for your first episode of the season and we don't get billings but we do get jack yes but as we say we'll get to it when we get to it we'll get to it when we get to it um But first, of course, we do need to go over the first preview montage for the Rockford Files we would have seen in this year, 1976. Um, So this one, this one's a good one. Uh, I don't think Rocky appears in it. But again, we get Angel, Dennis and Beth all make an appearance in the preview montage, which if you're like you were saying, like they had high numbers in season two this would be a good reassurance that you're coming back into the the show that you had just seen but we get high stakes Mm -hmm. uh there's guns being pulled there's a great that great uh juxtaposition where he's like angel i'm not in a very good mood and then he's throwing angel against the wall and pulling a gun on him Mm -hmm. that's not the order in which things happen (laughs) in the show what's the order but not the but but we can't wait to see why that's happening yeah exactly uh and then then cut straight away to a kiss Mm -hmm. not between him and angel (laughs) but between him and uh cagney part two Mm -hmm. i guess our guest star is um sharon gless yeah, Sharon Glass, who's the second woman to play uh, Detective Cagney in Cagney and Lacey. Uh, uh, the first one was, I'm blanking on her name, but she was in They Live, and she was also mm-hmm. in the He-Man and the mm-hmm. Masters of the Universe film. 
where she played the evil in. <laughs> the way this is described in Sharon Gless's biography, which is extremely extensive, yeah. <laughs> uh, is that she was not available for the role for the pilot and first episode, uh, but then took it over for uh, the remaining run of the show. Okay, yeah. Here's the thing. I have lived a life where I just have happened not to have ever watched anything this woman has been in, but she is ex- <laughs> an extremely big deal. Yes. <laughs> it was Cagney and Lacey. Uh, she was in Queer as Folk uh, mm-hmm. in a fairly significant role. And then she's in, she's in Burn Notice, which I've seen like one or two episodes of, I suppose. But like, uh, you know, it's a long running uh, regular there. I had that experience as a, I don't know, just someone who's just not in the demographic, I guess. Yeah. Of being like, okay, let me look up, like we like to do, let me yeah. look up the guest star, see what her deal is, and be like, oh, oh, she, oh, she's a big deal. Yeah. Most pop culture slash TV conversant people would be like, oh, she's in this episode. Because as it turns out, at the time, she's not a big deal. But as it turns out, she's kind of a groundbreaking person for female roles on television. So uh, looking at her IMDb, I'm a little surprised uh this is her second rockford files episode we haven't done the first one we haven't done the first one uh but more surprising (laughs) she's in a richie brockleman Mm -hmm. where she plays someone named darcy davenport interesting interesting (laughs) yeah Yeah, there's a tv movie richie brockleman the missing 24 hours which i think is the pilot for the richie brockleman oh it could be yeah do not worry listeners (laughs) we will be doing the legwork on the Richie Brockleman show. Just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just not just not yet. I don't think I can live with myself if we didn't. But yeah, all right. So that's great to know. Um little little something to look forward to. So yes, she we get a bit of a there's a kiss with Jim and her um in our preview montage. We get some some yelling, a little little bit of gun gunplay with we get to see Dennis in action as well. It's very exciting. And then as opposed to most of our well, I guess it's still action, but many of our preview montages end on a car chase or on mm-hmm. something going over a cliff or exploding or a gun being shot, something exciting. And our exciting ending to this one is a very ominous look at a lock as it's getting <laughs> picked or, sh- or, or or getting tried as it's shaking in the door. Yeah. And that's our action beat to end <laughs> the uh, end the preview montage. 200 a day is a 100% listener supported show thanks to our patrons. In addition to our gratitude and editing access to our 200 files files spreadsheet, patrons receive exclusive episode previews and plus expenses. Our bonus just chatting podcast about media, work and life. We expend special thanks to our gumshoe patrons supporting this episode. Brian Burnson has a Facebook page where he drives his Rockford tribute car to shooting locations from the show. Check out facebook.com slash Brian Rockford Files. Join Mitch Hampton to examine all matters aesthetic at the Journey of an Aesthete podcast. And Paul Townend recommends the podcast Fruit Loops, Serial Killers of Color. You can find these shows wherever you get your podcasts. Dale Norwood wrote a book. It's about fast ships, cheap drugs, and American political economy, published by the University of Chicago Press. Find Trading Freedom, How Trade with China Defined Early America, wherever good books are sold. Chuck from whatyoureading.com 
Shane Liebling has all of your online dice rolling needs sorted at his site rollforyear.party. And check out Jayadon's amazing miniature painting skills at jayadon.com. In addition, thanks to Andre Apignani, Tom Clancy, Pumpkin Jabba Peachbug, Dave P., Dave Otterson, Kip Holly, Dale Church, and Colleen Kelly. And finally, special appreciation for our detective-level patrons. Joe Greathead, Michael Zalisco, Eric Antenor at Antenor on Twitter, Brian Pereira at Thermoware, Jordan Bockelman, not Brockelman, at Jordan Bockelman, Bill Anderson at BillAnd88, and of course, Richard Haddam at Richard Haddam. If you're interested in keeping us going for as little as $1 an episode, check out patreon.com slash 200 today to see if becoming a patron is right for you. So we have our opening credits over a very pretty uh, sequence of a plane landing at sunset. And we kick off our story in the terminal uh, where we have a Mr. Farrell who is being greeted by, uh, we'll eventually learn, actually after like a long time, we don't get her first name for like half of the episode. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But this is Lori. This is um, Sharon Sharon Glass. Yeah. She works for a reservation agency. So we see this interaction where she greets this guy, Mr. Farrell, and and has kind of like a uh, just a small talk kind of like that says that he's a regular. He's like, oh, Mr. Yeah. Farrell, you're a regular. And he's and he does not seem to know who she is. He's like, I'm excuse me. Uh, but she's handled enough of his flights in the last month that he she considers him a regular because, yeah. um, you know, she's seen his name so much. Um, he says, well, in this case, she must be wrong. She mentions, you know, you had this flight to there, you had a flight to Detroit, you had this other flight. He's like, well, you must be wrong. I've never been to Detroit. (laughs) And she seems a little confused and just kind of uh, shrugs as he walks off. So this this exchange here is, uh, it's fun, it's awkward in a good way, like as you would expect it naturally to be, right? Like this is, I mean, I've I've been in situations like this before, like, uh, yeah. It, it has that um that vibe of like you see someone where you're like you recognize them mm-hmm. you say hi and then as you're saying hi you realize they're not the person you thought you recognized right. yeah and then you get to follow up with like hi and they're like hello and like I'm <laughs> sorry I thought you were this other person I, I remember distinctly having this is like one of those moments of like uh where you still feel shame as an adult. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was younger, when I was a teenager, there was a 24 hour restaurant that we spent so much time in just so much because it's 24 mm-hmm. hours. Like you're, you're up late. You're before you can go to bars and yeah. you know, that kind of thing. We, we our, uh, ours was an IHOP. Yeah. Ours was a Perkins Ooh, because I, I was from the Midwest. Right. Yep, um, yep. Then one day on a weekend during the day at, at a mall, the waitress that waited on us most of the time walks up to us and says, Hey, how's it going? And we're like, Hey, we did not recognize her at all out of mm-hmm. the context of the, uh, she wasn't wearing her waitress uniform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're incredibly friendly with her. We're talk. She sits down with us and we just chat the whole time, mm-hmm. you know, cause it's late at night. There's not many people in there, whatever. But for some reason in this context, all of us, just couldn't remember who this person was so bad. So, but like, that's a bit like how these interactions kind of go. But the thing I like about this is that I, I don't know if it's cause I know it's a Rockford files. I just saw the preview montage. So 
you know, I know something's coming up, something's bad. But this feels very much like when she starts saying you're a regular and he's like, no, I'm not. It, it's ominous. It feels ominous. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, is this guy a spy? It's like, <laughs> what? what's he hiding? What's he hiding right now? Yeah, no, he's great. So this is uh, uh, John McMartin is play, playing this character. I don't think he has any other Rockford Files um, appearances. He's a face He's he's a guy with a, yeah. with a good face. Uh, he has lots of lots of TV appearances. Uh, he was in All the President's Men. Apparently, it's been most in some of other these movies. don't have that mustache, and I'm I'm wondering <laughs> if that mustache was his or something they put on him. His vibe really holds this episode yes. together for me. Yes, and it starts now where it's like, oh, he he is hiding something and does yeah. not like that he is being called out about where he flies. Question right. mark? <laughs> uh, yeah, he does a great job of being both possibly an ordinary business dude, but also, if not, very threatening, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the, the the tension between the two comes out in this. Yeah, and we get the tension immediately uh, as oh, yeah. our, our next scene is just following Lori as she is going to her car. And we see that she starts to look nervous. We have, you know, lost any any ambient sound. We're just hearing her footsteps. And then we see ominous steps of a shadowed figure mm-hmm. just the feet but i was like oh there's slacks and dress shoes this is totally that guy yeah, yes <laughs> <laughs> and we have this great sequence where she hears footsteps we see this figure moving we see her moving she starts moving faster we hear her footsteps She starts to run, she stops, and then this dark figure steps out in front of her, and it's totally backlit. It's wearing a hat, and yeah. other than that, we just have the, like, silhouette. She she screams, the big the good scream from the preview montage, mm-hmm. and then a car behind her just happens to turn on its headlights, and that um, gives her the opportunity to run, and we see that she's dropped her purse. Yeah. So this is a thing, the filming style here is, I, I, like, I don't want to, like, say that it's revolutionary or anything like that, but I, it was something that I, I noted mm-hmm. that both here and later on, I really enjoyed the back and forth between uh, her. So what she's doing in the parking lot. So, okay, if this were a horror movie, right? Right. It would be her doing things being oblivious to her being stalked, and we would cut back to the stalker stalking her in mm-hmm. some way. But what we get is her feeling uneasy and realizing something's not right and making adjustments to how she's acting to prepare for it. And we keep cutting back and forth and it's not as prominent in this scene, but I really like how that builds the tension, right? Like Mm -hmm. it it creates this feeling of this inevitability, but not because she's blithely walking into it. We're going to have one later on. Mm -hmm. uh, That's also a very well done extended moment of tension uh, where we see her, making very smart decisions <laughs> and and trying to keep ahead of of this man. Yeah. Um the other thing I want to bring up is that like I love the scream. What did she see? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was reading that just as like pure like surprise slash Yeah, like, like a jump scare kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, like a jump yeah, scare. Yeah. yeah. It's also possible that it's like a complete mask off moment for this guy, right? Like so this guy, we know who this guy is. <laughs> right, right, we do, but I mean it, it's not like I think we are we are meant to understand that she can't actually see his face either. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, that's pretty clear, I think, from the staging. Yeah. Uh, and this is also important later. She cannot positively identify yeah. this man. Um, 
back in the airport, uh, she has called Jim for help. Like the show so often does. We, we get told through how they interact that they clearly are friends, mm-hmm. um, have some kind of history question mm-hmm. mark. <laughs> um, <laughs> we don't get like a detailed backstory or anything. And I think we learn later that like, it's not like they're super close. It was explained in the preview montage. Uh, they're old fishing buddies. <laughs> they're obviously. old fishing, right, they're old fishing <laughs> buddies. Yeah. Anyhow, um, she was afraid to go home or back to her car mm-hmm. and she dropped her keys and her wallet and everything in her purse. And Jim is, is comforting her and saying, it's okay. He's here now asks about, uh, she called the cops and she did, but there wasn't anything for them to do or see either. Mm-hmm. Uh, her handbag's gone, but you know, maybe that guy stole it or maybe someone else picked it up. You know, it was impossible to say. Um, and then we get into the emotional component where she is turning to Jim for some, some, uh, comfort as she's saying, uh, you know what I felt tonight? Mortal. Like, cause yeah. he's like, do you think it was like, was it an attempted rape or a robbery? Like, he's kind of yeah. like, what do you think was the intention? And she doesn't really know. She has no reason to think anyone would be coming after her for any reason, but it made her feel, you know, vulnerable or as she says, mortal, which is, I think, a really interesting way to, to put it. Yeah, she does a great, like, contrast of, like, we go through our lives just basically pretending that we're not. Mm-hmm. We all walk around acting like we're immortal. Well, you got to watch that kind of thinking. That's the kind of thinking that'll have you rushing into a burning building or trying to stop a runaway train or missing your shuttle. Yeah. So Jim has his like arm around her shoulders. So they're like really tight together mm-hmm. and they're filmed slightly from below as they walk through this airport, like corridor with these yeah. big, like bulb fluorescent yeah. lights above them. And it feels almost like they're in some kind of like endless walkway or something. The, the way that like airports feel like Logan's run or mm-hmm. THX 1138 that, that had the same feel, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, it was cool. I, yeah. I, I liked it. Um, you know, they have a, a bit of back and forth as she, you know, explains how she feels and she feels like she's made one mistake after another. I think she says, like, maybe calling you was a mistake. And he's like, no, was, you know, you can always, <laughs> always feel like you can call me. Yeah. And then she mentions that she even had an argument with a passenger today. And that never happens. That in and of itself was, I would say, pretty impressive considering my experience <laughs> with air, air travel. <laughs> <laughs> just, just the one argument. Yeah. So Jim escorts her home. Um, she says that she shouldn't be alone. Her four roommates are all out of town. There's five of them, including mm-hmm. her in this in this place. Uh, they're always out of town. That's one of the nice things about living with stewardesses. Minimum expense and maximum privacy. But yeah, I guess through here now, it's like, so Jim, maybe they've had a thing or, or whatever, but like Jim doesn't really know about her life. <laughs> Yeah. So I guess we get that sense here. This apartment, I it's a wild <laughs> set. <laughs> I, I was I was trying to figure it out having never lived in LA. Um so it appears to be a, at least two stories. Mm-hmm. We get this shot of the uh stairs going up to where the bedrooms are or whatever. Right. And I think it's a sunken living room. Yeah. And there's a small staircase up to like the yeah. surrounding floor. And then there's another floor. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's gorgeous. I would love to have lived in an apartment like this. And then with, with the exterior shots, mm-hmm. I was like, is this an apartment? Is it a duplex? It, but it, it is an apartment it's complex. It's an apartment complex. And later we see there's like a central pool. Yeah. Her apartment is on like one side. And then there's like a facing apartment on the other yeah. side. And I guess there's just like, I don't know. It it doesn't really matter, I suppose. 
But uh, yeah, it is a hell of a space. Yeah, I mean, I loved it. I, I was like, I, w- I wish I lived in here. There's like decorative wrought iron in the little yeah. handrails all- along the walking area. I don't know, the landing. Their bookcases have little like painted columns. Like, I don't know, yeah. what, you know, what kind of column, but like kind of like Grecian style, like fluid Doric, columns. Yeah. Ionic. One of those. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> As like decorative little caps over the edges of the bookcases, yeah. and there's like there's those I think fake plants everywhere. Yeah. Um, I my note is it's a hell of a space. Tiny little TV on a tiny little TV tray. Then mm-hmm. was great. So she just wants to like move on. Like I had a scare. Yeah. It was freaky. I I just want to you know get back to normal. Mm-hmm. Um, in Jim's professional opinion. She shouldn't be alone because her purse is missing. Her driver's license is in her purse. Her address is on her driver's license. So if someone is coming after her, they know where to find her. So he offers to take the couch. But she doesn't want to be babysit, even though she'd love him to stay. Just not for tonight. I think that line uh, is the clearest indication of what their relationship is. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm reading way too much into this. But I I feel at this point, Jim is saying, I'm going to stay here to keep an eye out for you. And she's saying, I've had a a kind of a bad day. I'm not looking for a romantic evening. (laughs) Right, right. Like, I do want a romantic evening at some point. Right. But tonight's not the night. I don't want this to have the tension of, is this going to turn into a romantic evening? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And he respects that, obviously, which is great. They do have a more than friendly kiss, Mm -hmm, I would mm -hmm. say. And a little flirt, flirty exchange. Uh, you sure you don't want me to stay? <laughs> well, he does leave. And he specifically says, uh, don't hesitate to call me. I'm just a couple minutes away. Yeah. And she says he's a good friend. So that that's their relationship. They're good friends. Later on, Rocky brings this up, too, yeah. that they are kind of neighbors. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside, we see the menacing silhouette mm-hmm. appear in the foreground as Jim leaves in the Firebird. So, of course, this is not going to uh, be an easy night. In the trailer, Jim is having his Oreo and oh, milk so before good. bed. You love to see it. You, you do. You really do. I, I mean, like, my note, it's just Oreos. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, season premiere. Let's, we're checking off some, some, some things off the checklist. Oreos, check. Yeah. There's a great match cut where he's getting ready for oh, bed. Yeah. He looks at his clock and that is a match cut to Lori setting the alarm on her clock as she's getting ready for bed. And then we get into our second tension filled sequence as our mysterious stranger. I want to, I just want to point out a thing that did not happen that I was fearful for, Mm. because as we're building towards this tension, uh, we see her bed. She's got like a shelf behind her bed, behind the headboard or whatever, Mm. where she has a giant glass sculpture of a fish or something. I don't think I noticed that. Oh my god, I was I was just thinking that better not come down on it. Like I, like hmm. I would be terrified of having that <laughs> over egging over my head every night when I slept. So hmm. I just wanted to point that out. Don't worry, listeners, that no glass fish were harmed mm-hmm. in the making of this episode. Yes. So this sequence is a great uh, uh, arrangement of cutting back and forth between our mysterious oh, yeah. intruder and Laurie. And also the uh, soundscape of him breaking in and her hearing various yeah. sounds. Obviously, it's unrelated, but uh, it reminds me of the effective no use of sound in our uh, our Megan episodes. Uh, yeah. Down to the we hear the waves because they're close to the beach because yeah. she's neighbors with Jim. So our our ominous 
shadow jimmies open a sliding door. She hears that little slide noise of mm-hmm. the door. She locks her door and we see him in the the living space. Uh, she does call Jim. He tells her to call the cops and he's on the way. Come back to Lori's apartment mm-hmm. to see our, the gloved hand discovering that the bedroom door is locked, getting out a lock pick. So we've escalated from like a screwdriver. Okay, whatever. Oh, a lock pick. Yeah. This is a pro, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think the escalation is the important part here, right? Like, that's the the part of the storytelling that I'm really enjoying about this is that they, uh, exactly that. Like, we know who he is, but, like, we don't know what he is yet, right? Right, right. We don't know the nature of his threat. Yeah, and it's so, it's it's such a, a tasty bit of storytelling that instead of, like, revealing it in dialogue it is the fact that he's like oh i have to go to a fancier set of tools which i happen to have on me Mm -hmm. and he doesn't bust down the door with force yeah yeah Yeah. like it it is very menacing and like we're starting to get into this thing where she's reacting very level-headed like she's Mm -hmm. scared she's clearly scared but she's making choices uh to counteract what may or may not be happening uh, and it's great. This is the opposite of the yelling at your screen for the person to do yes. something. <laughs> I'm I'm watching it. And I'm like, uh, what are your options? Okay. Could you put a chair under the door yeah. handle? And then she gets a chair and very, very quietly so that she doesn't yes. alert the intruder that she's aware of him slides the chair underneath the door handle. And then she goes to the window to see if she can get out that way. Right. It's, a, yeah. it's, a, it's another sliding door. Cause she's on the level that has the, the pool, I guess. So yeah, this is a, this sequence continues to have a, why don't you just, and then she does the thing does that it. is, yeah. the, <laughs> you know, she's in a state of controlled panic. Yeah. And you see how some of the things aren't going to work. Uh, and some of the things, um, and it's not just because he's a mastermind who's managed to, you know, stop mm-hmm. it from working. It's, it's just that naturally some of these things just don't work. You're just trying the things. Yeah. She knocks on the opposite door to her apartment. Yeah. Uh, there's no answer. She's kind of furtively doing it so that he doesn't hear. Right. Yeah. She, and then she goes down some stairs and hears her door open. And then now they're both aware that she's running from him yeah. at this point. So she no longer has to be as furtive. And she like knocks on another door that she's close to like more loudly. Yeah. And then he tries to see her from where he's standing and she hides underneath like a, there's like an overhanging piece of like, like a tree or something. So there's like a really good staging of having these different high and low areas for mm-hmm. her to hide in and for him to, gain vantage points and try to find her. Yeah. Yeah. He's got concerns. Yeah. Uh, we don't know exactly what, I mean, we know what he's up to. We don't know how and why. And, mm. uh, or so, yeah, we don't know why. And that actually, like you said, he didn't bust down the door. Mm. He did fire a gun though. Well, that's in a minute because, Oh yeah. Yeah. He, at least reading back, looking back on it, he is making the play of keeping everything on the, on the DL as possible. Yeah. Until it's not, and then he abandons that pretense, right? So yeah, she's kind of gotten as far as she can get with the creeping around. She finally makes a break for it, and she runs into another shadowy figure, which of <laughs> course is Jim, who has come yes. to uh, to 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 uh, to her aid. So she has this like sob of relief, which is loud. Yeah, he says something to her, and that draws the attention of our prowler. That's when he takes the shot. Yeah. They dive to the side. Uh, they're they're not shot. But once the gunshot goes off, 
Jim starts yelling like somebody to call the cops and we hear a car peel out as our assailant presumably is like, all right, I'm yeah. that, w- that was my <laughs> shot. Now I got to get out of here. Once it escalates to like, okay, other people will know that this is happening. That's when he takes off. You count the number of people you have to take out in order for there to be no witnesses. <laughs> right, right. right. Like, <laughs> Once it goes over a certain number, it's like, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lori is now that she is out of the immediate danger. She's totally like coming apart at the seams, mm-hmm. breaking down, which makes total sense. Having yeah. to come down from the adrenaline and the, and the fright, she's crying. She's saying he tried to kill her. Uh, and he, it doesn't make any sense. Um, Jim, I think asked, like, did you see, like, who was it? Did you see who it was? She didn't really see him and, and, and she can't be sure, but she thinks it was Mr. Farrell. <laughs> I think so too. I think so too. I did appreciate how, and I think again, the Rockford Files was really good at this generally, how there's no false extension of that question. Right. There's no, like, I don't know who it was. And we're all like, it's Mr. Farrell. And there's like another scene. Yeah. Like, I still don't know who it was. We're like, it's Mr. Farrell. Right. Like we don't have to be doing that uh, for the entire episode because the episode is not about discovering the identity. It's about handling the problem. Right. Yeah, I agree. Rockford Files is generally pretty, pretty good at that. And I, I enjoy that. Downtown, of course, <laughs> where uh, Lori and Jim are talking to Dennis. There have been two attempts on her life. And if they can just find that bullet, and Dennis says they didn't find the bullet. Mm-hmm. I think two episodes in a row where the cops have not found a bullet. Though I guess <laughs> in, in the last one, it's because it was a blank. But uh, anyway, and uh, Dennis wants to go home and get some sleep. Are you sore because I woke you up? You bet I'm sore. You know there's other guys in the same line of work, and some of them even work the night shift. <laughs> so I guess Jim filed a police report and then called Dennis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that he would get, you know, some personal... I mean, probably because filing the police report didn't result in anything because they have nothing to go on. So yeah, you know, it's like, well, I'll call Dennis. I think there's even a line where Lori's like, like, I thought you were friends. Yeah, yeah. She said, I thought he was a friend. And Jim's like, he is. He just needs his full eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> Which, relatable. Yeah. But Dennis can't do anything without a positive identification. And she she thinks it was Mr. Farrell. But he's like, would you swear? Would you swear under oath? And she's like, oh, no, it was dark. I can't swear. Yeah. He's like, well, then, you know, I can't bring him in, right? Well, I don't want to tell you how to do your job. But on an attempted murder, I think you could start with an APB. An APB on a man neither one of you can identify driving a car. Neither one of you can identify. Jim says he can pull him in for questioning. Just sweat him a little. I thought you weren't going to tell me my job. Well, I changed my mind. <laughs> uh, but he says that Jim's given him, quote, solid smoke. Oh, it's such a good. He's an upright citizen. He has no record, not even a parking ticket. He goes to Chamber of Commerce luncheons and takes out half half page ads in the newspaper. <laughs> they, you know, accept that Dennis isn't able to do anything reluctantly. Lori thanks him. Jim mm-hmm. says, don't thank him. He didn't do anything. <laughs> and as they leave, Dennis goes, he got out of bed. <laughs> oh that's good like i mentioned earlier every moment that the core cast not that there's anything wrong with the rest of the episode here but every moment that the core cast is on screen is pure gold in this episode and uh that that's a just a wonderful rocky dennis or not rocky rockford dennis exchange yeah and again it's kind of like if you're tuning in for the first time you know at the beginning of the season i think we're getting solid yeah Oh, this is a recurring character. This is they have this relationship, and we and we'll see more of Dennis also. So yeah, 
speaking of uh, getting a sense of relationships, uh, our next scene is with Jim, Lori, and Rocky at the trailer, where Jim wants Rocky and Lori to, to, to lay low until it's all over. He has this uh, idea to bait out Farrell, um, <laughs> as he clearly is, has come after Lori multiple times. Rocky says, it sounds like police business. <laughs> <laughs> and Jim's like, I think so, too. <laughs> But Jim doesn't know if Farrell saw him or not, so he needs to cut himself in so that he makes himself a target. He doesn't want Lori to be the target. He's going to make himself the target. There's a line where, like, he's like, you guys lay low. She says, what what does that mean? And Rocky says, oh, he means you should just, we'll just go, you know, stay at my place until it's all over. Like, Rocky (laughs) knows how this goes with Jim. This whole exchange is, yeah, there's there's a lot of that in this with Rocky here. So there's a line from the preview montage where Lori says, I want to know what you're going to do. And Jim says, no, you really don't. <laughs> yes. And Rocky then follows up with, I don't like it. Rocky, you don't even know what I'm talking about. I don't have to. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. And I love how Rocky is on to Jim because like Jim's like, OK, well, I have a couple things to do. So you guys should go ahead and leave. And Rocky's like, we're in no rush. Yeah, we can wait. And Jim just gives him this look and gets his coat and then he gets his gun out of the cookie jar check um yes so rocky gets to say see i told you i don't like it (laughs) and then we get a good classic jim rockford i'm not too crazy about it either rocky yeah that whole exchange is great it shows off that rocky knows because in the earlier seasons there was this whole thing of rocky not paying close enough attention to what jim does doesn't like what jim does wants jim to be a trucker but doesn't really understand what jim does Mm -hmm. and throughout this he's like Oh, what he means is we're going to my house and we're just going to hang low. Mm-hmm. And just that thing where, you know, Jim's like, well, you two should get going. And and Rocky's like, like, you can tell Rocky knows he's going to go for the gun. Yeah, yeah. And so Rocky's <laughs> like, no, I think we, I think we'll stay right here. And he looks to her for support. Mm-hmm. And she gives Rocky. Right. She's like, yeah, I have nowhere to be. <laughs> yeah, I have nowhere to be. And then when he pulls the gun, it's so good. Because, like, I think his line before he grabs the gun is like, okay, Rocky. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. like you win. Rocky won won the battle of wills. Yeah, yeah. No, it's yeah, it's great. The tacit acknowledgement that Rocky now is part of Jim's schemes. Yes, <laughs> is fantastic. You know, we could do the legwork to see if there's an earlier part or th- if there's an yeah. earlier transition. But yeah, the the sense of Rocky being kind of intentionally unaware yeah. or kept at a distance by Jim so that he won't be in danger. Like that does happen. But especially in the later, I mean, we never even question it in later episodes yeah. where, you know, or Jim's like, you go stay with Rocky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of our main cast, we go to Jim and angel pulling up in front of a house in the firebird. <laughs> oh yeah. Angel has procured this rental house uh, with no neighbors. There's an empty lot on one side and an empty house on the other. Um, Jim keeps asking how much Angel and keeps explaining yeah. how what a good <laughs> you know what a good place it is. Exactly what you were looking for. I rented it from uh, from Willie. Uh, <laughs> how much Angel? And finally gets to a hundred dollars a day. A hundred, hundred a day for that chicken shed. But Jim doesn't have time, or he'd rent one on his own. Mm-hmm. But he's going to remember. And when this whole thing is over, he's going to talk to Willie and see <laughs> how much of that hundred sticks to your fingers. And and he'll remember. And there's a great angel trying to wave him off. Jimmy, you, you don't have to talk to Willie. Yeah. <laughs> angel is trying to, uh, you know, 
talk himself out of out of uh, future consequences when Jim just pulls away, leaving Angel stranded as Angel yells after him, I don't have a car. <laughs> and then there's a wonderful little bit of physical business where we see Angel kind of look both ways and then pocket the cash that Jim gave him. Yeah. Just like <laughs> the way that Angel puts money in his pocket. Yeah. Tells you so much about who Angel is. Yeah, yeah. But he's always looking for the other Angel who's watching him, right? Right. He's, he's, he's always on the lookout for that person that's going to do him like he would do anyone else. If we've never seen the show before, oh, this Angel guy, he seems delightful. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> what a great dynamic he has, he has with Jim. <laughs> Hope we'll see more of him. So Jim is on the case. He mm-hmm. is going to the American Coin Company, which, as we shortly learn, is Mr. Farrell's... What's his name? Timson. Timson, Timson. Farrell's uh, uh, business. He's a rare coin guy? Yeah. Aficionado dealer. Yeah, he's a dealer in rare coins. So Jim runs a bit of a scam. We get to see a little bit of tradecraft here. This where is good. He <laughs> puts on his wireframe glasses, which are mm-hmm. his... I'm some kind of white collar worker glasses. Mm-hmm. My my notes were like, oh, this is a glasses character. <laughs> and he he rolls up his sleeves as he's walking up to the to this mailman. So he sees a mailman. He waits for him to leave from the coin company storefront. Then he follows him. He has a little bit of fast talk here saying, uh, you just made a pickup at Farrell's. He's like, yeah, why well, you have a complaint? <laughs> a pickup, right? So? I knew it. She's lying. She always lies. She lies just to cover her mistakes. I don't know why Mr. Farrell keeps her around. Hey, buddy, this kind of dialogue you can have with your bartender now, I just carry the mail. Yeah, well, I make out the bills. You see, I am Mr. Farrell's accountant. Now, there was a bill on my desk addressed to Norbert Mills. I remember making it out because it was for a strike on an 1858 Flying Eagle. Now, it's gone. She says she didn't mail it, but I know she did. Well, I can't... I can't bill him again. You can't bill a man like Mr. Mills twice. So... You want me to look, huh? Hey, would you do that? The mailman here being portrayed by Jim's brother, uh, Jack Gardner. Mm -hmm. James Gardner's brother, Jack Gardner. It's uh, fantastic. Mm -hmm. So uh, Jack Gardner takes the, the, the letters out of his bag and he flips through them. And so we get to see various names and addresses until we, he stops on an addressed envelope that has a Los Angeles address. And picks a name, Howard Philbin. We have a little bit of a pause on this so we can read the yeah. name. And we see it's the one that Jim is like, okay, this is going to be my my next play. And Jim is, like, as he's going through these, he's specifically reading off the names. Like, you get the, the feel that, like, Jim's looking for a good name to, to I think use. he's looking for the address. Now, oh. that, I'm thinking, now that I'm, like, yeah, yeah. thinking back at it. Yeah, because it's, like, someone in L.A. so that he can run this next. Yeah. This guy told me about you. Yeah. This is a con to set up a con. Right, right. Which I I love. And we immediately go to Jim as his favorite alias, Jim Taggart, (laughs) who's talking to Farrell in the coin store. He was recommended by Philbin, says, you're the best in town. And this is Jim's not full Oklahoma. Right character but his kind of like like super friendly bumpkin character yeah he's he's friendly he's probably has money right and he's just not sophisticated enough to get the mark to think they can pull something over on him he bowls past social cues because he's like so oblivious or whatever yeah 
He talks of traveling. You know, Mr. Philbin said, you're just back from some trip. Mr. Farrell says that he does uh, travel extensively for business. Um, but Jim tries to get hi- get him engaged on, like, where he's been recently. And he just gets nothing. Keeps trying to change the subject and everything. Yeah. Which I think is is significant. And we get the good contrast here. So this is the first time we're really seeing Farrell as a character. And we see he's very, like, not proper, but he's, like, uh, he presents himself as someone who's worldly sophisticated yeah but doesn't necessarily have time for this kind of thing that uh, uh taggart is trying to to get from him he says he wants a present for his nephew's boy something practical that'll hold his value and the interest of a you know interest of a boy uh and he's willing to go as high as fifty dollars <laughs> farrell says that his clerk is more than capable of helping him with the request and jim runs his like well Philbin said that I should talk just to you. Yes. Uh, you know, I have to make a phone call. I'll be right back. So he sends a clerk out with some, I don't know, collectible coins or whatever for him to look at. And we see Farrell call this guy Philbin to ask about Taggart and mm-hmm. gets, of course, the information that Philbin does not know this man and did not recommend anyone to him. As this was happening, I had the revelation that this was Jim's plan. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought, oh, no, he's going to catch Jim. And then I was like, no, that's right. Jim's looking to get caught. Right, right. Like, he's he's putting himself in the crosshairs here. Uh, but it was fun that, to have that dawn on me while <laughs> it was happening. I was like, oh, all right, yeah. Yeah, and it's nice that it, he still has to do the work to make the mark think that he's trying to do That he's con. doing the work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The trick is he just does it. <laughs> Unfortunately, the trick is just doing the work. Yeah, there is no trick. You just have to do it. <laughs> when he returns, Jim is writing out a counter check, um, yeah. which I think, again, is a key part of this plan, right? Because he's mm-hmm. just new in town. He just started his bank account. He doesn't have checks in his name yet. But don't you worry. There's money in the account. You call. You can call the bank and says, no worries. I'm sure you'll be seeing me again. And uh, <laughs> Farrell says, I'm sure we will, Mr. Taggart. I should just state here, as Jim's unofficial bookkeeper, mm. He's probably out at least 150, probably mm-hmm. in two days. Anyways, I'm just saying, Jim's starting to go a little bit long on the money here. Right. This is not an episode where Jim's going to make money, is what I'm saying. <laughs> he's uh, he's just helping out a neighbor. Yeah. Farrell waits for him to leave and then kind of pokes his head out to see if he can see where Jim went. He doesn't see him on the sidewalk goes back inside and that's when there's this wonderful oh, stage yes. moment where Jim pops out from the next storefront as mm-hmm. there's like a synth sting yes it's oh it's wonderful to watch Farrell go back in so yeah. I think that's the, the the button on like of course Jim has orchestrated this whole thing to be discovered because he's checking to see if the guy was trying to follow up on him. Right. Uh, Then he does take off and inside Farrell wants his clerk to call the bank to check up on the, on, on Taggart's check, Uh, talk to somebody in new accounts, (laughs) which I think, you know, gives us the connection to this address for this rental house. Right. Yes. This is the paper trail. Jim has then started a new account in a fake name with a fake address with at least $50 (laughs) in it at a bank. In order to get this con deal off, which is (laughs) fantastic. We are going to take a little break in the middle of our episode here so that we can stretch, maybe get a beverage or a snack and talk about the other places that you can find us on the Internet. Epi, if our listeners want more Epi, where can they go to get maximum Epi? 
you can find uh, me at my website, digathousandholes.com. That's dig1000holes.com. Or you can get my sword and sorcery fiction and games at worldswithoutmaster.com. That's worlds, plural, master, singular. If you want to engage with me on the social medias, the best place to go right now is Mastodon at Epidia at Dice.camp. Nathan, if they want to get Maximum Nathan, where do they have to go for that? I should have gone Maximum Nathan. Maximum Nathan can be found at my website, ndpdesign.com. That's the hub for all my stuff on the internet, including all my uh, role-playing games, zines, and other podcasts. Uh, So if you're interested in pro wrestling detectives Mm -hmm. or zines about pro wrestling, (laughs) (laughs) among other things, um, those are all at my website. It also has links to contact me in other ways. Currently, I'm still... um, Posting on Instagram at Andy Paoletta. That's where I'm posting pictures of my dog. Uh, you can also find me at cohost, cohost.org slash NDP. That is a fun, small scale social media site that I'm enjoying quite a lot. And now we return to the continuing adventures of Jimbo Rockfish. It is time for the trap that Jim has laid mm-hmm. to be sprung. Jim is waiting in his rental house, crouching behind the couch with his gun. We see a mysterious hand opening the door. I think the framing does not make us think this is feral. Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious that this is. But uh, we see the door opens and then Jim gets the drop on, of course, Angel. (laughs) You wouldn't shoot me for a lousy hundred dollars, would you? I ought to shoot you on general principle. (laughs) Why is he even there? He figured that Jim has some kind of game going and he wants in. I love just sitting and thinking about Angel walking home from where Jim left him. Right. Right. And the whole way Angel's thinking, Jim gave up that hundred dollars a little too easy. Right. What's Jim up to? Mm-hmm. He's he's gonna get a return on that investment, right? <laughs> like just the gears running. Right, right, yeah. And him getting almost to his front door and then turning around and heading right back. <laughs> that does seem to be Likely of of what happened. Like, yeah, I need to get in on this. Whatever this is, he he wants to be in, perhaps for a painless two percent. <laughs> um, and uh, but he wants in, and Jim says, "Oh, you're in." So he tells Angel to go stay put behind that that couch over there. Um, he resumes his stakeout. Angel realizes that Jim is sitting there with a gun. Yeah, I think he has a few another minute to think about it. So he starts crawling away as if Jim isn't <laughs> going to see him. <laughs> Where are you going? I will leave. You can't, Angel. I'm expecting another visitor. I don't want you to spook him. Jimmy, I want to leave. What are you doing sitting over there holding a the cannon? You planning to shoot out? Is that what you're doing? I don't like that kind of thing. I don't either. We're not going to have a shootout, Angel. It's going to be a nice, quiet citizen's arrest. Now, if I'm right, in a few minutes, that door is going to open. Mr. Farrell is going to come through it, and he's going to trespass on my legally rented property. Huh? Knowing Mr. Farrell, he'd be carrying a gun. Gun? Yeah, he's not going to have a chance to use it. You won't get hurt, Angel. Now, trust me. Just trust me. Do I have a choice? No. <laughs> then we see a shadow outside the window, and of course it's the window directly over Angel. Yes. Like it slowly <laughs> slid up, and a leg comes in. He, he lands in the house, and that's when Angel screams, Shoot him, Jimmy! Shoot him! <laughs> so good. And we have... A full series of shots exchanged, yeah. which uh, take out a lamp. And other than that, <laughs> uh, we see it is clearly feral. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he yeah. empties his gun and manages to uh, miss Jim. Jim takes two shots, I think. Yeah. And uh, in the confusion, he then, uh, Farrell then runs off. We see him jump into a blue car to uh, make his escape. Jim goes to follow, but his tires have been slashed. Yeah. Somebody thought this through. Somebody thought this through. So per the 200 a day files files, which is Mm -hmm. our uh, uh, spreadsheet of show details and ephemera that all patrons (laughs) are invited to contribute to. One of our car correspondents um, did fill out uh, the info for this episode. This is a PGC blue 7576 Lincoln Continental is Ah. the I'm not sure if PGC stands for something or if that's just the color of blue. Or the model. I don't know. Not car guys. Uh, it's a <laughs> Lincoln Continental that uh, uh, our man Farrell is driving. And apparently somewhere I didn't notice. I didn't I did not note it while watching. And I have not gone back to see where it is. But somewhere in this episode, uh, William Ward's Red Jaguar makes an appearance. Oh, so yeah. There's a detail. I think that's that come is... up maybe a long time ago. Yeah. There's a Red Jaguar uh, that is. Yeah. Uh, the director's car. That manages to sneak into some frames in some of these episodes. See, I actually remembered to check this time. <laughs> um, this is a, a wonderful action sequence, obviously fraught with plenty of good angel material mm-hmm. uh, and good, good, good gym material too. Like there, there is a thought I had. I feel like this has come up recently. I don't remember in which episode, but there was a thought I had where I was like, "So this guy, as we learn later." You know, he's clearly an assassin, right? Like, he's clearly yeah. some kind of killer. Uh, and the way in which Jim is able to avoid being killed by this right. guy <laughs> makes Jim seem like a badass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little a little, little over the top. But I remember what I was going to say. I was just going to lament poor Willie, whose house oh, yeah. just gotten shot up. Like, like he, he was just renting it to Jim. Mm-hmm. And Jim had every intention pushing someone here so that's true his legally rented property and you have to wonder how legal that property is <laughs> you wonder if angel even talked to willie yeah willie might just be on vacation though they do specifically make a point of saying here's the paperwork mm-hmm. i think it's important for jim to be able to go to the police and say this man was trespassing right, right. yes that's the whole point of the yeah, renting yeah. the place and not just having it be a random address classic jim like looking just tighten down all the legal angles the paperwork get the bureaucracy on his side yeah unfortunately it does not really work out in his favor <laughs> no uh we are now at the western division um police station where mr farrell wants to know what is this all about so jim Lori, angel and dennis mm-hmm. are there to uh talk to farrell about these accusations there's some banter where like jim is like he tried to kill me <laughs> he tried to kill her and tried to kill me and and dennis is like i'll ask the questions <laughs> yes but uh he asks about their encounter at the airport and farrell explains that he's coming back from miami beach after a big deal didn't go through, he's been trying to hunt down this particular 1870-something coin. Half dollars. Yeah. Something. Yeah. And he finally had a handshake deal, but by the time he got there, he'd been outbid by a competitor. And there had to be some leak for it to happen so quickly. And he kind of rolls his <laughs> eyes at Lori, like, implying, like, you have it out for me or something. Big on the rare coin trade. Uh, Yeah, Dennis wants to get the facts before making his decision. 
Um, Lori reiterates that like she, you know, she can't positively identify him again because it was dark. Jim says, well, I can positively identify him and I have Angel as my witness. <laughs> it's like, right, Angel? And Angel pulls classic Angel. See, you got two eyewitnesses, Angel and me. Uh, not exactly two. You see, when the lights came on, uh, well, we'd been in the dark for so long, I kind of blinded me and I couldn't even see my hand. I swear somebody come in there, but who? <laughs> so he cannot back up Jim, or he is unwilling to back up Jim uh, with this uh, accusation. And so if that's all, Farrell would like to discuss the charges he'd like to bring against Mr. Rockford. <laughs> so we go out to the parking lot where Angel is explaining to Jim that Jim's looking at this all wrong. That guy's a killer, and I'm not going to make him mad at me. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Again, classic Angel. Um, he is not going to yeah, let a man who he thinks is is willing to kill uh, give him any reason to come after come after him you're looking at it like i'm a chicken and, you, and i just <laughs> dumped you you're on record with the police he he mm-hmm. knows that you know about him and he's not going to make another attempt and jim says no he's clean now what is going to stop him he's walking yes. free they see him walking <laughs> across the parking lot it's like he's walking free what's to stop him and angel <laughs> goes you know what you're right. Later. And he runs yeah. away. <laughs> so good. It's a really good angel episode. Mm-hmm. It just is. We get all of all the good angel beats. Speaking of all of the beats, we then go to Beth's greenery strewn apartment <laughs> yes. where Jim and Lori have come to Beth for some legal advice. So there's two things here. <laughs> Text wise, plot wise, there's a great starting out exchange. Defamation of character. Resisting arrest. Why do you always come to me after the fact? Because that's when I know I'm in trouble. Right. (laughs) Jim says, uh, I'm not worried about it. He's not actually going to take me to court. He doesn't want things that I'm stumbling over to come out, you know, as a court in a court case. Besides, I can't cause him too much trouble if I'm dead. And so Beth responds, did he threaten you? That's terrific. (laughs) (laughs) But no, he did not actually directly threaten Jim or Lori. He's too slick Mm -hmm. for that. Uh, we have a moment where Lori says, I just don't understand what's happening anymore. And Beth gives her a look and says, don't you think you should start? <laughs> Jim has Lori go through the encounter at the airport again. And then uh, she specifically says that he got mad when I mentioned Detroit. And he lied because I know he went to Detroit because I booked it myself. And so Jim says, well, that must have something to do with Detroit. Like the fact that he knows that, you know, he went to Detroit. That's what started this whole thing. Yeah. So let's look at it from that angle. There's not much else they can do. Uh, Jim thanks Beth for the legal counsel. And on the way out, uh, I think Lori says, thank you so much. And he's, and and Beth says, Jim always knows he's welcome. I hope we'll be seeing more of you very soon, Lori. <laughs> Lori leaves first. Jim is yeah. going out the door when Beth grabs him. He's like, Jim, who is she? And that's when he says, an old fishing buddy. And <laughs> gives Beth a kiss. And then leaves. And and there's an exasperated sigh. There's mm-hmm. something, there's a note that Beth ends that on that's very, like, she's very unsatisfied with the answer. <laughs> yes. So, again, in the in the 200 Files files, one of the other notes that someone left is, like, Beth is jealous. Like, yeah. we see Beth being <laughs> jealous. And and I think we see that in the scene. But it's funny because I was watching it and I'm, like, taking notes. And then I'm watching, I'm taking notes. And 
Gretchen Corbett's facial expressions in this scene are oh, yeah. amazing. I was yes. rewinding so I could watch it again to make sure my <laughs> eyes were on the screen because we get not just that she's like, come on, Jim. Yeah. You know, like, who's this woman? And Lori is a little Beth-esque. Yeah. Physically, like, kind of like. She could be a Davenport. She could be a Davenport. Maybe that's why she ends up like a, a like a Like a Darcy Davenport? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> um. So there's a little bit of that, but we get a sharp contrast here. And I have a question for you about this. We have a sharp contrast in the scene between, between Beth's competency and her mm-hmm. very like, I'm seeing right to the heart of the matter and I'm going to make a decision. And Lori, who is being very passive and as time goes on, gets less and less confident yeah. and more and more dependent on Jim. And that's brought out by this exchange of like, I don't understand what's happening anymore. Well, don't you think you should? Yeah. That's the crux of that. And so it's not just jealousy, but it's also a little bit of like, like, Jim, what are you like her? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, what do you see in this person? Um, that, uh, I feel like comes through her like body language more than anything else. Uh, which is fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's a great scene for the three of them playing off of each other, but it's definitely, Beth's show, right? Mm. Like, like, uh, Gretchen's show, right? Like she, this whole scene, she's just, uh, making a meal of it. She only has this one scene in this episode and she makes 100% use of it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, but my question for you is, I think by the end of this episode, I, I wasn't a huge Lori fan. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Um, Um, I felt like the character, I was definitely on board. Like I was, uh, 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 sympathetic, obviously, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, I was with her while she was like trying to save herself. There's a lot of tension yeah. I'm scared for her. I'm glad she's okay. All that stuff. But once Jim kind of takes over, I feel like as a character, she kind of, she kind of becomes the, I don't know. There wasn't much character to her left, I guess. Once Jim like starts taking action. So a thing happens, I think where she becomes the client that Jim wants. Mm hmm. Right. Like, cause this happens all the time. Jim's like, okay, I've got a client. I need you to behave a certain way. <laughs> and, and they don't mm-hmm. like, that's just, just right, how right. it's going to go down. And, uh, yeah, I think she becomes the client that Jim wants. Uh, and obviously as an audience, we don't want to, Jim to get what he wants out of a client. That's not, <laughs> that's not the fun of it. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I didn't think too much about it. But I think you're right, looking back on it. The first half of the episode is her highlight, right? Mm-hmm. Like, where she's uh, trying to thwart this unknown figure and um, trying to make sense of it and trying to bring it, you, you know, yeah. figure out what's what's happening. Uh, by the time we get to uh, this part, yeah, I, like, it's more of Jim's game now. Mm-hmm. Although we're about to see her use her, her expertise right, <laughs> a yeah. little bit. But, like, yeah. Yeah, she becomes more of a just a person to bounce the ideas off of kind mm-hmm. of thing. It strikes me because I so again I did not recognize the uh, Sharon Glass. Um, yeah. So I was looking her up after I finished my notes to be like, okay, let me do my kind of you know look into who these these people are, and then I'm like, oh, she's a very significant actress, which is funny because one of my takeaways from this was kind of like I kind of didn't really like the actress. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like the person who played Lori, I felt didn't really do a great job. Mm-hmm. Which now I'm like, I don't know if that's an unfair reading and the character is just kind of written to be a little more passive than I'm accustomed to at this point. 
Right. Or if it's just like, you know, it's an early career role, like whatever, you know, clearly she has more room to grow. Um, but this scene in particular really highlighted it for me where we have Beth who's so strong. Yes. Yes. And I'm kind of like, I'm on Beth's side on this one. Like, really? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, obviously Jim is, Jim is doing his gym thing where he is, I'm going to take action to help you because you need help. Right. Like, right. it's not like he shouldn't help her. He should. But the kind of like, aren't there more interesting people for you to be hanging out with? Right. That's <laughs> kind of, I'm kind of on Beth's side is all I'm saying. Yeah. Can't blame you for that. So sometimes that's just how it goes. Uh, but going to more memorable characters, <laughs> we go to the zoo where Farrell is talking to another guy in a suit who I technically we get his name way at the end. Uh, Richard Staler, Staller, something like that. Um, he is a younger man in the same line of work. He was in the Dog and Pony show. Okay, we did do that one. That's the one where there's the 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 mobster who is in like an asylum. We've we've done his other episodes. So this is we're finishing out our Michael Bell uh, appearances. Um, and this is his first appearance on the Rockford Five. Yeah. Anyway, he's wearing like a three-piece suit, very fancy. Uh, so Farrell and this other guy, they're they're talking about patterns, predictability is overrated. That's actually kind of important mm-hmm. later. And um, they have some some banter about Kansas City and New York. So this other uh, uh, guy is from New York. Now he's in Kansas City. Says he kind of misses the action. Farrell says, "You remind me of myself uh, back a few years." Of course, uh, that's a compliment. From the time I got my first job, I heard about you. You're tops in the field, and I'm like. These guys are assassins, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These guys yes. are hitmen. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, you're building yourself a very nice reputation. But Farrell is reading him his rights, which is a, a euphemism for saying that he has a contract on the guy that... Uh, employs him. Yeah, that, that employs him in Kansas City. I would hate for your career to get cut short. And uh, uh, Staler says uh, that he gets the message, but Farrell spells it out for him just so that they both <laughs> know what he's talking about. And so the audience also uh, knows what he's talking about. I'm going to kill him. You turn your eyes, play hero, and you're dead too. Mm-hmm. This is a fun scene because we see his duality, right? Like we, we've seen his kind of genteel businessman yeah. thing. And then this scene he has all the same traits, but they're much more dangerous. Yes. It's yes. really, it's interesting. It's a, it's yeah, a fun, it's a good character. It's a fun, uh, fun switch. So Lori and Jim are trying to track down the manifests for Farrell's flights to try and figure out why yeah. Detroit in particular would be an issue. It turns out that, so they're at like, I guess the reservation desk that she works at, whatever. I don't know. They're asking someone for records. And then the woman comes out and is like, He's not on any of these manifests. Well, <laughs> mysterious. She says that's impossible. She booked those flights herself. So they go to the library. It's in the books. To the library. <laughs> and they're looking at newspaper microfilm. There was a weird fact in that previous scene where they said they only keep the records for about 27 hours or something like that. Yeah. And I was like, what? Tw- 27 hours like <laughs> it's not 24 hours or 72 hours interesting maybe someone who is uh familiar with how airlines operated in the 70s could uh let, let us, us know why that that would be the case and i might have misheard it that's possible too so jim's like okay something is happening where his tracks are being erased for where he yeah. was so let's look at where he was and see if there's anything yeah. in the newspapers 
specifically, he says uh, that it's going to be on the front page. Because I think Laurie asks, like, you're only looking at the front page. No one gets as nervous or desperate as Farrell for something hidden in the back pages. It's going to be front page stuff. Yeah. So Laurie remembers that the Detroit trip was over a holiday weekend, which makes it the 10th or the 11th. So I look at the 10th. He doesn't see anything. Looks at the 11th. Doesn't see anything. And she's like, I'm sure. He's like, well, if he was there on the 10th or 11th, it wouldn't be in the paper till the 11th or 12th. Yes. And sure enough, on the 12th, there's something where Jim's like, there it is. So we go to Jim and Laurie talking to Dennis in some kind of outdoor food court. I just I just want to say at the library, I love that the show occasionally shows us how the sausage is made. Mm-hmm. Right. Like this is a fun bit of detective work that you just don't get in in uh or you tend not to get in other detective shows where he's like yeah okay we'll go to the microfiche and we'll yeah we'll take a look at the newspapers for those days and see if we can turn something up and the way that he talks about it i i, I appreciate is even i forget what the line is but it's kind of like these things are kind of a pain in the ass well, like yeah 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 he, it's not like this is a fun technology this is kind of yeah. like okay i guess we'll go to the microfilm which is or microfiche i'm not sure if there's a difference oh yeah but which I feel like is the sense that I've had about it all the way until, you know, I don't know. I'm sure it still exists um, in places. But my microfiche story is that when I was in high school, one of my English classes, we had a specific assignment that was to go to the library at the at, at UNM at the University of New Mexico has a library that had like a bunch of I think they had a lot of New York Times um Mm -hmm. archives which i guess you could just get as a library but like in other newspapers we had an assignment to go to the university library and look up specifically microfiche articles as an exercise in like this is a technology that exists yes and this was probably shortly before that technology stopped existing (laughs) (laughs) it's the information superhighway yeah microfiche i mean at the time i mean now the new york times archives are online you can just yeah look them up but um at the time they weren't anyway and uh it's like a creative writing thing and but you had to base it off of a new york times archive from that was on microfiche from i think before 1900 or something like that okay so anyway so i went to the library and went to the machine and did the little slidey things and like it was I, That's great. I appreciate that I was made to do it because I don't know why I other otherwise yeah. ever have done it. <laughs> Had that experience. But the way that he talks about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a fiddly kind of pain in the ass kind of yeah. thing to do. Because you had to, I mean, they showed it. You had to focus in on it. Yeah. And it was, yeah. Anyhow, um, what I want to talk about in this scene are a couple things. First of yeah. all, this is... 1976-1977 season. So this is the year 1976. So we are in solid bicentennial oh, yes. town. <laughs> and so the cups that they're drinking out of have American flags on them. Yes. And I'm like, that has to be a bicentennial thing. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fantastic. Number two is Lori's sunglasses are amazing. Mm-hmm. And those are my two things. <laughs> Good notes. What they discovered was that the headline was about a man named Arnold Freeling, who was killed in Detroit on the 12th, one shot to the head, mm-hmm. unknown assailant. Uh, before that, in another town that they knew that, that Laurie remembered booking Farrell to, there was a guy who was in a car that was run off the road, and then he and his bodyguard were both shot. Um, two days ago in Miami Beach, there was another guy, multiple bullet wounds. These three men were all scheduled to appear before the Senate subcommittee on organized crime. <laughs> and there's uh, one more on, on the list. So what they're constructing for Dennis is that 
at the airport, he realized that Lori knew where he'd been and when. So that's why he's trying to, as Jim says, take her off. And then he's tried to take Jim off, too. And he shoots like he's in practice. Yes. But not too much (laughs) practice. Yeah. Dennis says, well, I mean, there's no hard evidence. There's nothing that could be proved. So we can't arrest him. But I can ask him. We can ask him some questions. Mm -hmm. Um, So they go to Farrell's house to ask him said questions. Uh, But he has left about 15 minutes ago. Um, There's a housekeeper who answers the door. As they're walking up, Becker's like, you know, let me do the talking. And then immediately Jim (laughs) jumps in. Does he have a desk calendar or anything we can check? And there's this great grimace on Becker's face. Like, I can't, we can't do that. Like, I'm a cop. I can't do that. But the housekeeper says that he's a very private man and she can't help them. Uh, They leave the house. They have a little bit more banter uh, where Becker's like, well, we'll keep an eye on the, on his house. We'll keep an eye on the coin shop. They have a wonderfully constructed (laughs) TV moment. I wonder where he went. Yeah, maybe he went out to kill somebody. The airport? The airport. (laughs) And then we have action synth as we transition into our next scene. I thought that was a very funny moment. Um, I did too. It was well, the the timing was, was, was really well done. Again, good Dennis moments. The whole main cast. But also that that trope comes from somewhere, and this is like a yeah. good example of it, right? <laughs> yeah. We have Jim in, for whatever reason, the framing of this, maybe it's just because it was the first time he had a full body shot in this particular costume, but like, mm-hmm. my note here is Jim in many shades of brown is yes. wandering around the <laughs> Uh, like his shoes, his pants, his jacket, and his shirt are all slightly different browns. Yeah. He so he and and Dennis are basically just wandering around the airport. Like maybe we will find him. Um, Dennis says, "Well, if you left 15 minutes ago, like that's cutting it pretty close to get on a flight, right?" And Jim says, "Well, he's not going to hang around. He's going to want to be in and out fast. This guy has a pattern, Dennis. This fits." So getting mm-hmm. back to him saying. You have to not leave a pattern, right? Like, right. kind of implying right. that maybe he is getting a little sloppy or something, right? Laurie did get a passenger manifest, and he is on a flight to Chicago that leaves in five minutes. Jim wants her to page him. What am I supposed to say to him? <laughs> Nothing. He's not going to answer, but he just wants to spook him, basically. He rattle wants to him. give him, rattle him is a better, yeah. I think that's what he says. Like, there's there's got to be a chink in his armor. We just got to make him nervous. Yeah. We see Farrell hear the page so the you know announcement over the speakers and then we see him see the other assassin mm-hmm. who menacingly lifts his arms that have a, a, a raincoat draped over them <laughs> he takes off running jim and dennis see him running they pursue so then we get a bit of an action scene where Farrell is running from this other assassin the other assassin is chasing Farrell. jim and dennis are way behind chasing Farrell, but both of them uh in my notes here this is when i it suddenly comes to mind that i have no idea what this why this episode is called the fourth man right, right. <laughs> and my first question is wait is this guy the fourth man because there's four men running that's not the case but i was like <laughs> maybe i don't know right what's happening here Farrell uh runs outside the terminal they're in kind of like uh the ground area yeah uh the other hitman yells at this in a very jim-esque move i think yells at a a guy who's like like riding around on one of those little carts like a baggage yeah like a baggage handler or something 
he shouts, airport security, stop that man. And so <laughs> the, the guy obliges, stops yes. Farrell. Farrell kind of pushes him. So the, the handler falls to the side. Farrell's standing against the wall as the other uh, hitman comes up to him. And he says, but I read you your rights. And then we <laughs> just have this perfectly framed two shot of them staring at each other. And then the guy in the blue suit just shoots him in the stomach. Yeah. It's a, it's a little shocking for a Rockford Files, right? Like, mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting... I was expecting some sort of confrontation at this point with everyone involved. Right. But that is not the case. Yeah. And it's right in front of this Grand Crew guy. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I think that's what I meant about how, like, this escalates a little more, maybe to give it more excitement as a season premiere. Yeah. No, this is a heck of a foot chase. It's, yeah. Is, you know, my notes here. The killer runs. So Jim and Dennis see the shot also. Yeah. So they run, they, ch- they run up to the airport employee who's going, he shot him. He just <laughs> shot him, which is, seems like a solid reaction, like a, a very realistic yeah, reaction. Probably still considering the, the, thinking that this guy's airport security, right? right. Like, yeah. Um, but he runs into a hangar and Jim and Dennis see him disappear into this uh, air, oh. uh, airline hangar where there's a, a, there is a plane there. So there's gantries and there's, stairs and there's a plane and you know it's clearly darker than the outside yeah and it's it's a good moment of like hold up he could lay an ambush in there right Right. like that's yeah and we have some dialogue here now let's split up do you have a gun yeah 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 well that's good then you could cover me (laughs) (laughs) the back and forth like you don't know which way dennis is gonna go on that and uh (laughs) where he's like okay fine and then we have a great this is a great physical sequence where jim and dennis are leapfrogging keeping each other covered while they advance up towards this um the plane we see our gunman who has made it into the plane and is picking out of the door dennis makes a break for it the gunman takes a shot hits dennis yeah, we see him hit him in the. I think it's very clear that it hits him in the leg. Yeah. But we see Dennis go down, and he yells, "Nail him, Jim!" <laughs> and so Jim takes a shot, and our 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 gunman is clearly hit, and he does a classic falling forward out of the door, tumbling yes. fall out of the plane. We don't see where he lands, and Jim runs to Dennis's side, and you know, and clearly concerned, and is gra- and like. You know, goes to Dennis. It's like, you okay, buddy? (laughs) We see why they're friends. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm also panicking a little bit because I'm now realizing I don't think I've ever seen Jim kill a person. Mm -hmm. And I was like, did Jim just kill a person? I don't know if I want to see Jim kill a person. You know what I mean? Like, that's a... Well, we will we will learn in our final yeah. scene here where we start off at the the pool at Lori's apartment building where they're having a celebratory grill. Uh, Dennis has his leg up on a sack of stack of pillows and <laughs> is having Jim get him some chips. Jim says, you're getting a lot of mileage out of that, Dennis, considering it's just <laughs> a flesh wound. But the doctor said he's supposed to stay off of it and it hurts. So <laughs> it's the least he could do, but it could have been a lot worse. Uh, Lori and Rocky joined them. Rocky is wearing an incredible belt yes. buckle <laughs> with GMC, the GMC I made, logo. I made the same note. I was like, what is going on? I, I Maybe Rocky's worn it before. I don't know, but it was, it's... You know, Rocky is GMs. It's uh, so yeah. good. What an artifact. Yes. 
I like to think that that was that that, that was Noah's that that was just like yes. something he he was like I'm I'm wearing my GMC buckle today. <laughs> uh, yes. So there's a line here where Dennis I don't think I don't remember if he says I should thank you, but he's like you know everything's worked out great <laughs> because of Jim. Dennis is like you know it's it a big score for him with the department. One assassin DOA and another alive and talking. So mm-hmm. there we go. So, so Jim did not kill kill the other guy. He apparently made it through, and he's and he's spilling all the beans. We have some good wrap up Q and A where Lori and or Rocky say, "I don't understand why this happened or <laughs> why did this happen." Yes, um, and Jim explains, "Farrell wouldn't bring a gun through the airport. It's hard to bring a gun through those metal detectors." Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he could just buy one wherever he's going. You know, he was going to Kansas City and, you know, they explain about the reading his rights and whatever. Uh, Farrell used his um, coin business as a cover for his work as a, you know, as, as a professional assassin. Jim says that the, uh, you know, warning each other off um, of hits it usually works. There's a lot of live bodyguards and very little executive talent. <laughs> Um, but the this hit was on the fourth member of yes. this group of mob guys that were that gonna, gonna testify, testify. Yeah. you know, before the Senate subcommittee. So there's our fourth man. Yes. Lori wants to pay him for his trouble <laughs> and Rocky jumps in. He won't oh, think of Rocky. it. No, 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 no. You wouldn't take money from a neighbor, which I think he says after Jim says, Well, it's not so much the time as the out of pocket expenses. <laughs> But Rocky says Jim would not take money from a neighbor. He wouldn't even think about it. Lori turns to the grill. Jim beckons Rocky down and says, <laughs> that had better be a great steak. <laughs> Freeze frame. Freeze frame. End of yes. episode. Um, yeah. So that was a fun one. We we end with no money, but hope but he is getting a steak that we don't get it that we don't get to watch him eat. So yeah. you know, we get all of our check boxes. Check, check, yes. check, check, check. <laughs> uh yeah, I can see this as a, a beginning of season three as being like a good strong like let's let's get you what you want and show you what you're going to get if you're if you're new to the show. Mm-hmm. Lots of like I keep saying lots of good stuff with the core cast. Uh I like I agree with you about Laurie's char- the the character of Laurie sort of fading. She starts mm-hmm. stronger than she ends, I think. Uh, yeah, she just seems a little. I don't know. She just seems a little boring. <laughs> in in a way, I didn't expect. I feel like she was yeah, yeah. set up to be a little more. I don't. Know, I guess I was waiting waiting to get a little more of an edge from her in some direction, and it right. just didn't really happen. But that's a pretty minor. It's not really even a complaint. It's like. This episode has all of these things. Like, it's like all of our core characters. Yeah. Good villain. Interesting plot. Good twist. Uh, high, high octane ending. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's a lot to appreciate. So, uh, you know, if we're doing a power ranking, you know, maybe, maybe Lori tips me one way or the other versus some other episode, but just taking it at face value, you know, it's a, a relatively minor, um, criticism of a strong episode overall um yeah season three so you know we start off with this episode the next episode is the oracle war cashmere suit ah. which i think is another genre subgenre of episode that we i mean i really like it i think we both liked it mm-hmm. the one after that is the family hour which we did recently so mm-hmm. that's kind of like an offbeat like off formula episode yeah and then after that is Feeding Frenzy, 
which is oh that the one with that, the ice rink exchange. Oh yes, so good. And then the one after that is Drought at Indian Head River, which is the one where Angel is the fall the guy real for estate. the real estate deal. Yeah, yeah, some classics. Yeah, and then the one after that is Coulter City Wildcat. The one where oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Rocky accidentally or Rocky bids on the oil lease and yeah has to gets conned into signing it off where they almost make hundreds of thousands of dollars yes. but then don't <laughs> because of a bureaucratic paperwork thing and then the one after that is so help me God so like yeah that's it's a, a good good season start. that's a, that's that's seven episodes in a row where it's like, yeah that's a good one that's also a good one <laughs> yeah. And then the one after that is one we haven't done yet. <laughs> I mean, we haven't done all of them, obviously. There's a couple still that we still need to do in this season. But scrolling down the season three episodes, I'm like, mm-hmm. these are almost all bangers. Yeah. But I feel like I have that feeling every season. If I yeah, start yeah. scrolling down the episodes, I'm like... You start having good memories of all of them. Yeah. Uh, so that's a good feeling. It's like, yep, yep. Show. The show is good. Yeah. Uh... I don't really have anything else in particular. I think this was a fun episode and I'm glad we got to check off, you know, lots of Rockfordishness. Um Yeah. You know, it plays some of the greatest hits. Yeah, yeah. You come in, you're gonna you're gonna do War Pigs, you're gonna do Paranoid, you're gonna do Iron Man. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I relate everything to Black Sabbath, so mm-hmm. and apparently a single Black Sabbath album. Right. As I just listed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, greatest hits. Yeah, greatest hits. Yeah. So we have one more Ward Bartlett collab um, yes. to do. So we're going to do that one next. Next, yeah. Um, and then we will continue our Wardathon um, mm-hmm. after that. So looking forward to that. Um, our our way, wayward way. Yes, we'll continue on our wayward sons. We will go forward <laughs> through. Uh, okay, never mind. <laughs> uh, keep, I think you're onto something. <laughs> so we will go forward. Through his catalog. There, there we, we go. go. Sure. Well, however that came out, <laughs> we will be back next time to talk about another episode of The Rockford Files. <laughs>